This is Brian Q. Miller, and you're listening to Across the Airwaves. Meanwhile, at the DC Nation, we are tonight's entertainment. Here on the world, freezes in the None of the Robins ever complained. You're going to melt just like a cheese sandwich. And show you just how powerful I really am. Always hold on to all this. I know we should escape my sight, but those who worship me this might be where my power green lantern lies. But let the universe howl in despair, for I have returned. We have no more use for this one. Kill him. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Across the Airwaves DC Nation podcast, the only place so far on the internet to find podcast reviews on Green Lantern, the animated series, Young Justice, and all of the other imaginative content DC Comics provides for its fans, including comic books, Brian Q. Miller's Smallville Season 11, and movies. I'm, of course, Dan Schmidt, your host, and with me is the most infamous member of our Across the Airwaves core. Our very own Michael J. Petty. And Michael, what are we doing on this extra special, exciting episode of DC Nation that all our fans are going to love? Absolutely, Dan. Well, on, on this week, um, we said we were going to be doing Batman Mystery of the Batwoman, the commentary, and we're actually not, sadly. But we did no. get something a lot better. And it was very spur of the moment. So, I mean, we found out probably two days before recording. So don't freak out. We weren't planning on, you know, cutting you guys out and not telling you what was going on. But we will be doing that next week. Yes. But this week, we got an inter- our third interview with Smallville writer, Batgirl writer, and, of course, Smallville season 11 writer, Brian Q. Miller, as he came back on our show to discuss the uh, latest arc of detective which just recently finished as well as what's coming in the future with the crisis on the crisis story haunted and effigy yes sir so yeah we talk a lot about detective and then a little bit of haunted and what's coming next near the end so so in your announcer man voice michael would you like to introduce our very special guests who we're just so thankful to have joined us again absolutely dan Please, everyone, welcome Smallville Season 11 scribe, Brian Q. Miller. All right, so Brian, thanks again um, for joining us. We're glad to have you back on our show. No, thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Pleasure to be (laughs) here. Most definitely. So, Michael, I mean, do you want me to start out with the questions or do you want to start? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. All right, Brian. Well, the first thing we've got for you today is we kind of want to know, you know, what was the challenges of writing um, Batman Bruce Wayne and making this interpretation of, I guess, the world's finest story arc? Um, I mean, I think it's 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 just that. It's, it's the, the interpretation of it. I mean, there have been so many different versions of, you know, who Batman is and what he does, um, you know, which, which generally all have the same kind of, you know, it, it, Batman is still always Batman, you know, regardless right. of who's portraying him. It's still, you know, Bruce Wayne, parents murdered, has lots of money. Vengeance turns into justice. That, that whole, that whole bit. 
um, it was kind of trying to find the sweet spot between all of those to 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 find a place for this version of you know for Smallville's version of Batman to live. So um, you know, little bits, little nods to the to the to the Nolan verse and, and to the uh, yeah. to the Bruce Tim the Bruce Tim take. I think it's it's specifically when we get into stuff like um, like the uh, the mission specific armor and whatnot was very much a. Um, was very much a nod to to the Bruce Tim stuff, but also you know some of the whiskey and razor blades uh, growling of Nolan stuff as well. And I bet you kind of wish that you could get action figures made of those oh, different suits and gadgets. Yeah, well, it's you, I haven't heard anything either way from. I mean, I seriously doubt we'll get we'll get action figures from from DC. That'd be awesome. <laughs> Certainly, trying to give them as many opportunities as possible to make figures of what we're doing in the books. Because I remember when I was a kid with the Batman kind of made series stuff. There was like tightrope Batman and parachute Batman and jetpack Batman and all this stuff. So with you kind of having the suits and all that stuff, it reminded me of a lot of those action figures I had as a kid. Well, not even from the action figure thing, but like with the. Um with the Bruce Tim stuff, with the Superman animated stuff, it was kind of natural yeah. for them, telling wise and for the toys though, like Superman couldn't be in space without a suit. Right. Like when, when he went up into space, he needed a suit so he could breathe. And then when, then they had like a, uh, an episode where he put on a lead line suit to protect himself from kryptonite. Yeah. Just, it was, it was very, that was not very durable at all. No. Well, and neither was this one, but it, it very much was organic to the storytelling that they were telling, um, which which I always liked because it wasn't as obvious that it was for toys. Right. Uh, that uh, and whereas you know, like with the Batman stuff, he kind of really didn't. Uh, uh, he didn't really have you know that much of that kind of thing to where suddenly when you saw a bright green, you know, neon stealth hang glider Batman, you know, right. on on the. Walmart, you were like, oh, why? Batman would never do that on that cartoon, but that was clearly toys. So, yeah, that's that's where that's where that came from in store. Well, and the the suit durability thing, you know, the big fly. I sometimes don't like when Superman wears the kryptonite protecting suit because it's never that durable. You know, it never really fully protects him. But I liked how you had Clark get the suit ripped off and not be like, oh no, what do I do now? You know, he, he was resourceful, and he figured it out and, and zapped the prankster's big robotic suit to take well, it what, out. What it was, which which is which is a shame, because just sometimes something works, some things work out in the art, and some things don't. And it was just one of one of the things that, and I think on on all of our parts, we didn't catch that slipped through the cracks was that what he was doing in that moment is which which didn't show in that panel of art, since the layer was covered in snow. And then there were exposed electrical crackling wires. He was heat visioning the snow to make water. So that uh, water shorted out the mech, and it, it just didn't translate. It just didn't didn't make it its way properly onto the page. Huh. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, that's just one of those things that, like, you know, especially when you've you know you've got like for various reasons, we needed to have a little bit of a parade of artists to to get this art done. Just every now and then, something. Is you know is gonna is gonna slip through. So that was that was one of, I think, remarkably given given the turnover we had on the arc. I think that was one of the few things that actually d- 
didn't work like it was supposed to. But at, you know, through no one's fault of, of trying, we just had to get it done. And I and I noticed that on the print issue for issue eight, I noticed that Green Arrow was originally on the cover, but he wasn't on the actual cover when it got released. Yeah, I think that just had to do with the um, with the masthead. Just with he would have chopped off at the at the neck by the um, by the by the title by the season eleven. So I think that's probably why he got pulled from it. Yeah, it's kind of disappointing. He looked really cool on the cover when uh, we saw it without the words a few months ago. No, it looked great, and Miko did a great job on the cover. I just think it was probably a little too vertical, just in the in in the arrangement of it. Yeah, completely understandable. Because um, you can you can only slide it down so much with that placement of Superman to where you don't want to cut the S off at the bottom of the picture either. Yeah. For all things that have to be on that cover, I think it's it's the S more than Oliver's beautiful face. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um. So why did you end up going with Batman confronting Joe Chill when in I mean, most versions, I would say, besides maybe the Nolan one, he really doesn't find out who his parents' murderer was? Um, I mean, it was trying to kind of harken back to a lot of the, um, you know, the Smallville way of introducing guest heroes, specifically kind of uh, back when we started doing it, like like Cyborg and stuff, where you'd have the hero come in and the hero had their own, or even Zatanna, when Zatanna came in, the the hero comes in and they have their own agenda and they have their own demon they have to face, and usually it's to their own detriment. Clarky had to come in and, and be the voice of reason and, and kind of help guide them back to the right path. So for Bruce, I mean, it, it definitely, I think, started with the kind of the notion that's expressed in the coda at the very end. Where, you know, when he, when he mourns his parents in the alley, he's really mourning the, the childhood he lost from, from having tragedy happen more so. Um, not that he's not mourning his parents, but that that's a really big component of it. And that Joe, which which the other ones kind of danced around a little bit, that Joe would have been, you know, a boogeyman to that child, the one who the one who killed his parents, and then kind of faded off into the ether for the entirety of his time growing up. Um, so so finally having to confront the boogeyman again is going to destabilize him a little bit. So it kind of came from from both of those. Hmm. Yeah, because I think it turned out really well. By the end of it, and it was. Go ahead, I, Michael. Oh, I was just gonna say I didn't expect uh, Joe Chill to actually be killed by Freeze. Yeah, he got one in. He got one <laughs> in on, uh, on our boys when uh, when they got frozen and shot. Yeah. When they got their t-shirts pulled over their heads and then they got pummeled a little bit and they got hockey punched. <laughs> That's the danger of wearing capes, right there. That's it. You can get grabbed by pranked with it and all of that so um, but it was that was also one of those things too where specifically with this arc and and to to positive and negative effect it was kind of what what new direction can i send it in for the next 10 pages what new direction can i take it in for the next 10 pages and it was just kind of trying trying to keep that momentum going with the oh joe's dead so the story's not about him finding peace with joe because he's never going to be able to find peace with joe then it becomes towards the end about him, the anger that he felt and why he felt it versus having, you know, Joe's finally behind bars and, and having that kind of closure. Well, and I think that's kind of outside the wheelhouse of the Batman character 
if you went that far of him finally being able to give Joe Chill justice. And no, and this is definitely a case where where it's 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 not about it's not about it's not about the justice. It's just about coming to terms. Right. What Joe represented in his life. And I really enjoyed. I mean, the coda, as you call it, at the end, where you know Batman and Superman had that conversation, or I guess Clark and Bruce had that conversation. Um, it really felt characteristic of the show. You know, the show always has that. The last ten minutes of the episode, where you know each of the characters kind of get together and work things out, or have that last heart-to-heart conversation. I know Clark had one with each of the heroes throughout the course of the show, and it was great to see you through that in there with Batman as well. Just not in the uh, we didn't we didn't have it in the Amber Hughes of the uh, the Kent loft, <laughs> right? And and again, it's it's evolved past that now, so it made sense that they were more in the city because that's where the story is now than in the loft. But we wouldn't mind seeing the loft again, right? We'll we'll get back there. It's just it's going to be just with how everything's laying out for the year. It's just I don't want to suddenly be like, yeah, and we're going to go back to the loft to. To go back to the loft, like there should be a reason that that we're yeah. back, we're back on the family plot. Well, he keeps all his Phantom Zone and Fortress doohickeys there. Remember? Not anymore. <laughs> well, well, according to Homecoming, no, I'm kidding. Okay. Homecoming was an alternate future. Homecoming was constantly being written by the events of the present. <laughs> okay. Yeah. We'll go with that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I guess we have to. So says Brian Q. Miller. At least yes. as of right now. Makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah. And that's how I mean. That's how we approached. We approached that. You know, that homecoming future too. Just after you know, after that episode broke, was just that. Because I, I think we made sure there was a line in there from Brainiac that talked about it being, you know, a possible future and not, you oh, know, okay. right. definitely what the future was that way Clark still because that was a concern coming out of that episode was like well then what work does Clark have left to do as a person if he knows exactly how everything's going to work out for him right so right. that's why we say that this is something that could happen you know this this is a glimpse of the job you might have if you keep if you keep behaving this is what Santa might bring you for Christmas if you're a good boy this year but there's no guarantee now what about the future at the end of finale and your continuity is that how it works does that exist I mean that that's one of those I think um I think in the Doctor Who sense they would call it fixed time it's the the future that we saw in the 7 year that is how is how Brian and Kelly ended the series so that's definitely something where you know I'm operating in a world whereas kind of the Chloe Alcota tells us that that's that's kind of the end goal of of what Smallville the series is is what we saw at the very end so that's certainly something i'm going to deviate from because that's how that's how the the folks who were behind the wheel for much than me intended for it. well that's so far down the road though i mean do you essentially think you're going to even get there uh right now i'm not even seeing past season 11 right just to stay, just to stay focused up. but the, but there are certain things like you know the the chloe oliver thread where Kind of something had to happen to make to, to make some things line up with the, the the people present in that finale. Um, flat. Yeah. Well, and also, there's the idea that these heroes' stories always keep going on. 
Absolutely. You know, every superhero story I've seen, when it ends, it still gives us this idea that it's still going on. It's still continuing. Right. Well, and that's and we're we're playing with that just in the you know in that that nebulous space in between, you know, when he becomes Superman and then we saw flash forward. Right. So, Dan, do you wanna? Yeah, yeah. Where do you do you want to go into more Mister Freeze, Michael? You want to do number question three, or should we just go to four? Okay, I just, if if you felt we covered that enough, we could just go to four. Yeah, let's just go to four. All right. Well, we're gonna go into talking about probably I thought one of the big highlights, got really one of my favorite parts of the story of of Detective in terms of action was the Batmobile. And according to Michael's co-host Wu on the Arrow podcast, who wrote us some questions, we thank you for that, Wu. Uh, Thanks. Yeah, <laughs> that was a thank you for Brian there, Wu. Just so you heard that, he's probably excited about that. Key uh, really felt the design of the car was a combination of the vehicles we saw in the '89 Batman, Batman Forever, the final season of Batman the Animated Series. And of course, Christopher Nolan's Tumblr. Is that what <laughs> you? A lot, a lot of vegetables in this. Yes, he did his homework, I guess, on this. Uh, is that what you were going for, or if not, what inspired your Batmobile? And was the idea mostly your idea or the artist's? Um, it was a, a combination of all of those things. I mean, it uh, it definitely wound up being. Um, Cross's baby at the end of the day, but it was the, the gag that that had to stand was that it fit, they had to be capable of doing kind of the flip boost and then having the axle spin to keep it level when it when it hit the ground. Uh, there's a, yeah. I, there's a remote car that does that, and I was like, that'd be awesome if a real car did. So yeah, um, it looked like a transformer to me. Um, but it was that kind of well, and it's funny you said. Because in the script, it's that Michael Bay shot from the first Transformers when Iron <laughs> Hyde is flipping over. Um, but um, but yeah, so it so it started in a place where I think I had first I had described it as um, like a cross between like a like a 2012 Camaro and uh, an Olivia Wilde car from Tron. Like it was it was the <laughs> wheel on the outside. That way they act spin when it boosted um and then and cross kind of just did some versions and it, it wound up kind of leaning a little more into which which i think is fine into the territory of kind of homage to all of the batmobiles that have come before so but it, it still it pulled off the gag it was a beast and those were those were the two most important things that is awesome yeah that was definitely one of my favorite parts because when i first read the chapter i took the picture right off of my ipod i'm like going to instagram right there it's awesome coming through that wall and i had Hans zimmer's score playing through my head when that chase was going on no that whole i want to say i was writing like the uh it was it was um god was it was that. It was the the Dark Knight score, and um, I want to say the score from the last Transformers, and maybe Battleship. I think were the were three were the three kind of 
mm-hmm. base heavy destruction filled um, that I had going when I was that, that section at least there and it was nice. always going to like when I broke the story that 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 week um, which at this point I'm trying to remember which week that would have been week eight with the Batmobile chase week nine yeah uh, one of those two but it was it was always bricked out to be that where there was the Batmobile so there to be like a big Batmobile chase in it but it's a Batman thing and I think not having a Batmobile chase they wasted opportunity and you don't see enough action in comics nowadays exactly because when I was little the Batmobile was the coolest thing ever so so regardless of like the Adam West Batman Batmobile or then eventually like you know the 89 Batmobile like it was just Batman had a tank yeah so <laughs> was playing into the fact that he's rich and he has a tank. So, and it also made uh, poor Oliver a little jealous there too. <laughs> he's and that's not going to go away. He's certainly um, has has had his feather his feathers ruffled by seeing kind of how the pros do it. Yeah. Oh no, we're not going to get Green Arrow imitating Batman, are we? <laughs> we covered season six. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, Michael! You're gonna get your arrow cave. Yes, we do. Actually, we go back to the um, the clock tower penthouse. Um, oh, good. In um, in uh, in Haunted. Good. I've been. I was gonna ask you where that was. Well, it was like in reality, um, and, and you'll notice that if you go back and look, um, the set turned into the Ace of Club. Yeah, like physical. Sp- is it's it's a very and it's an odd shape like it's it's a it's like a parallel like it's a weird it's a weird squished diamond shape it's a very narrow set. so like whenever we shoot things in there and it doesn't look like it's claustrophobically narrow it's like just great on everyone involved in production that it didn't look so narrow uh and i think ace of clubs hid that that problem with width a lot better than oliver's apartment did because of the clock the clock wall in the middle but it was yeah, it was the exact same footprint, the exact same. Wow, and that's pretty ironic because now on the show Arrow, his hideout is underneath what's supposed to be or going to become a nightclub. So that's kind of funny. And Wu and I call it the Arrow Cave, which is why they all make fun of us. Yeah, but that's kind of what it is. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> See, Brian Q. Miller says so. It's a hole down in the ground where he makes arrows. It's, uh, it's not like he has a car that rides up into it. That is true. He does have a motorcycle, though. That's he a motorcycle. Yeah. Yeah. Um, could, could you talk more about how you and maybe the artists came into the creation of the lead suit, like Superman's lead suit? It was it was literally it was it was in the script that that we had it and then um, I think just because of with the kind of artist rotation batting worked out um, which we'll have we'll have sketches of in the back uh, in the back of today's issue actually uh, Kat, yep. got, Kat got to do the designs for that because we needed her cover done for the digital stuff before we needed those pages done. Um, so she got to take a swing at it, and it was, you know, we started in the place of you know, that Batman would have this, you know, for himself. That's his his anti freaks thermal armor, and then, you know, once he, 
once he sees what Superman goes through, then basically modifies, you know, another version of the same to 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 do something for Superman. So they kind of, even though the colors were a little different, which we needed them to be just for because right. it's a comic book, uh, but that. Um, you know, because I saw someone online was like, and then suddenly they've got suits out of nowhere. And it's like, well, they talk about building in the armor. Like, it's you, you yeah. can't spoil reveals that early. But uh, everything he needed to do that was was already on the boat in that travel package that that Bab set up for him at the beginning. With, with, along with a nice glass of orange juice. Some nice orange, which was actually it was a much longer scene, which I had to cut for space between um, a very Smallville scene, which you know. It didn't work for what we were doing in that particular chapter, but it was between Lois and Barbara about kind of the merits of effort and okay. squeezing oranges and getting the juice out. Even though it's really hard, it's a better experience and kind of just getting into what what some common ground between between the ethos of, of Barbara before they get into the fight with the goons. Well, and I, and I like the idea of superhero characters – you know, even if Barbara's more so of a sidekick, doing mundane things, it just humanizes them a little bit. Absolutely, absolutely. It's um, whenever, whenever, like, like in in Guardian with Clark brushing his teeth. Yeah. Right. Having breakfast while she checks her email. Just, just really, which, which we did, um, you know, to to practical and also I think good on the show. Just with because you can't just have doing super heroic things all the time. So right. it's it's good to give them business, stuff that they can do that people relate to. Mm-hmm. And kind of just going back to the lead suit, just jumping back to the question, I know you mentioned Tron was your inspiration for somewhat of the Batmobile. Uh, is Did that play a part in the creation of the lead suits as well? Because they kind of had a Tron vibe to me. No, it was just that they, they had glowing components to show that they were doing something, but it wasn't it, with okay. with the suits and figures. Yeah, it was yeah. much more of a, it was it was much, honestly it was much more of a, a Tony Stark place than than um than a Tron place for for the suits. Yeah. Well, that would make sense since he's also a millionaire for billionaire. Oh. So <laughs> millionaire, he's got so much more money than that. What are you talking? About? I corrected myself. Yes. <laughs> Can Oliver would be jealous of him too. Well, he spends his money more than Oliver does. So. True. Because Oliver wasted a bunch of money on a pointless Luther Corps merger. There's all kinds of mistakes Oliver's made with his money over the years. So he did do a satellite, and that will hopefully come in handy eventually. Not just a satellite; they've got a satellite, but a moon base that that, that we saw that there was a camera on the moon. Yes, <laughs> yes. that's it. So we'll see what's up with that at some point. Too. Maybe even get a name to our little League of Heroes. Uh, it's you know honestly, I'd love to get there at some point, but it's also it's it's really hard. Like I get that they're called Justice League because they're and this is just personal editorial. Like I get that they're called Justice League because they're called Justice League, but it's it's kind of hard sometimes. Like you you read various versions of the comics and go, well, they're not really doing anything like. Justicey, like if they're fighting a giant starro, they're not really bringing justice to anyone. They're just like saving the world. Like it's <laughs> it's a catchy name, but also like trying to find the real world context for them being labeled that. <laughs> um, I think like like Jeff did in 
in this last um, the kind of the restart of Justice League where he had uh, an outside entity name them the Justice yeah. League them deciding to call themselves Justice League I think would be a far more likely way for them to get named that yeah yeah um, well it's just like when you think about like the, the it's implicit in in like the Avengers being called the Avengers is that you're calling them the Avengers and they avenge things, which means something's already gone terribly wrong because right. they are avenging. Terrible superhero team. Yeah. <laughs> it's the superhero team. They weren't there really in time to do anything right, but they'll go ahead and clean up afterwards. So, yeah. yeah. So it's just a thing with, with catchy names and stuff, which, and I'm please, I'm not, not Avengers anything. I'm yeah. just pointing that words have meaning. Well, it's like your observation about world's finest with Lois yeah. at the end. Couldn't let that one. I couldn't let that one slide. So <laughs> I've I've thought that for years. Like world's finest, what? So I love that you called that out. And I get that it's world's finest heroes. I understand that, but it's also just really hard. Like I don't know. It's just not. It's it's not a it's not a title that rolls off the tongue, especially at this point, because it brings to mind chocolate more than anything. Yeah. So. <laughs> wow. That's neither here nor there. That's just doesn't represent or reflect the views of the rest of DC Comics. That's just me and my thing for words. That's all. And chocolate. And chocolate. Love chocolate. Love it. Well, and you're a writer, and you should have a thing for words. So it's completely justified. I hope we all have things for words. I hope we all know how to speak and talk and read. I enjoy the game Words with Friends as well. You can get the home version now. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I'm going <laughs> to go play with Sheldon Cooper and then leave. Um, <laughs> Let you know and just never finish a game. That's that, It would work just like it does online. Right. Um, so I, I guess our next next question is, where is the Tess and Lex's head story arc going now that Lex realizes that he can just get her memories to get his back? Um, well, or to at least get get outside information, like her memory. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, it was poorly phrased. Apologize. No, no. Well, no, it's <laughs> it's not people can see, so it's okay. Uh, in in the in the uh, in the echelon fake science, it's it's pretty fake, um, but. Uh, he's definitely going to uh, perhaps kind of using some various technologies we've been exposed to on the show uh, uh, over the course of it. He's going to start looking into um, how he can start um, uh, trying to not necessarily extract Tess's mind like he did, like he tried, like he tested on Henshaw Guardian, but to try and kind of find what she knows and be to to what she knows and you know because they know specifically what part of his brain she's you know uh which which part of the uh, the memory is being taken up by tess so um so he's definitely he's he's definitely on a kind of an uh, captain a quest to to get at what she knows about what you know why does the word uh summer halt come to mind when you say that um they're they're <laughs> There could be some summer there, and I don't want to. I I think when uh, when Haunted comes out next week, within the first pages, you'll have an idea of which technology we're playing. Okay, that's all right. <laughs> Let's do this. Let's that's a good teaser there. 
fast forward a week. Brian? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, Dan? Yeah, well, the other thing we've noticed throughout this chapter, and it's, it's becoming quite comical and fun, is there somewhat of a Lex Otis bromance going on? It, I, I mean, I don't know if it's a bromance, but certainly there's, there's a begrudge relationship there of some sort has shades to bromance, and there will be kind of ups and downs. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's, there's almost a little bit there. There's some kind of comedic sexual undertones going on there lightly. And so it's, it's, it, there's a good chuckle out of it. Kind of, yeah, thing. I mean, it's, it's certainly. You know, uh, more than anything, Otis is, since Lex has emerged from this Tess-induced, you know, amnesia state, Otis has kind of been the constant for him. Um, so it's, uh, you know, he's he's there at his beck and call. He's there all the time. He kind of, you know, knows him better than, than he knows himself to some extent. Um, so it's, you know, Otis is the one person who, regardless of what evidence will be, you know, could be presented to him that, you know, Lex, you know, was a terrible person or, you know, got to a point where he was, he was a villain. Um, you know, Otis would, would point out to that person. Yes, but right now he's not right now. He is a champion right now. He is someone who's trying to save the world. And in a way he's kind of the, um, uh, he's kind of. The uh, the Jimmy Olsen to Lexus Clark, yeah, it's it's very it's like there's that. kind of vibe between the two of them, or at least that's what we're trying to have happen. Well, and it also kind of fits into Lex's desire to have a brother, going back a little bit to season three. Absolutely, absolutely, and that well, connection. And, it, and in this, and you know, in this instance too, it's in a way there's the closeness there of a brother without. Um, but but Lex also has the advantage of being able to say get out, right? And saying yes, sir, Mister Luthor, and and leave because he's also still just an employee. So there's it's it's kind of the best of of worlds for, for Lex, even though he's really aware of what he used to miss. Okay, that's a really interesting dynamic, a little different take on it than we've seen before. I'm loving it, and we will. Um, and I won't say what it is, but we get to find out. Um, what Otis's last name is in, um, in Haunted as well. Yes. <laughs> That's got Michael excited there. That's one of those word things that irritates me when we don't find out characters' last name. No, it's, it's, it's in, I think it's in, um, God, is it in week two, week two, week three? It's in, it's in, it might be in week two. I think it's in week two as well. So, so it's in print issue nine for sure. Uh, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Sounds good for you, monthly listeners. Yes. Um. Yeah. Uh, our next question for you, Brian, is: What makes the prankster, in your opinion, a more more villainous or dangerous? I guess it's better phrasing than Toy Man. Um, I think it's I mean, kind of what what Clark points out to him. Um, and actually, I think Toy Man speaks to you when he's talking to Lois from his cell. Um, he's striker is that Loomis, at least this version of Loomis, having been Toy Man's protege, kind of stood on the shoulders of that giant without any appreciation for what he was doing. So, whereas Toy Man has kind of this broken compulsion to 
um, adhere to the rules of whatever game he's playing, even if they, they're crazy and they're villainous and they don't make sense. Kind uh, of Riddler. In a way, kind of kind of like Riddler, that Loomis has all the trappings of Toy Man, but has none of that um, neurosis to where he just wants people to look stupid and he wants to feel smarter and he doesn't care if if he cheats or if there are rules or if there aren't just wants you know what's his so that's that's kind of the angle that that we took on um on now you know bringing in the prankster a lot of people say or at least from what we saw on the internet he they don't think he's as popular as a dc villain um you know why did you go with him instead of just having toy man break out of prison or going with somebody else more popular we're just curious about that well, I mean, part of it was for the, um, you know, the copycat aspect, just for the for the detective work of it and for the for the for the procedural kind of mystery of it a little bit that it presented itself as a toy man story, and it turns out, well, it couldn't have been toy man, then who could it have been? And it's someone copycat. So, so it it started uh, kind of from that, but as to pranksters, you know, prominence in in the echelon. DC villains, it, we already had Batman piece. So the thing is, you can't, like someone brought up, well, why didn't you have Joker in there? And it's like, well, because it's a story about Batman coming to, to Smallville. It's not, the more kind of big tier people you bring in, you have to make the story more about all of them. And this more about kind of, you know, Super Batman coming together as a, as a team and as a partnership than it was about uh, bringing that much of you know, Gotham, the villain side of DC, into the story. Um, you know, it's uh, to keep to keep the focus on Batman. It was it was more of a goal to do the B list villains versus the A list villains. So you're kind of doing kind of you know what they went for with Batman Begins, as well as kind of going with this idea that you know the Joker's been done in so many renditions of the world's finest story. I mean, it mixes it up, not bringing him in as well. Well, and especially right now with, with all of all of the stuff that Snyder going on with yeah. Joker over in the Batman family books right now. It's, it's, it's one of those things where let that be where the Joker noise is right now, because there's no way that anything I would do in the Smallville story with Joker is going to even come close to just the level, sheer magnitude of what's happening with Joker over that books. Yeah, that book's unbelievable right now. It's, it, right. it's great. It's it's one of those things too where it's such a big intimate story because it involves like the the main cast. It's such a sprawling story because it it takes up so many books that I I feel like even if if I had written the best Joker in the world, it also would still be like, oh, well, Smallville is doing some Joker thing, but here's where the real Joker thing is so over in these main books. So just let, let Joker play over there. And on that note, are we going to possibly see Prankster and Toy Man again in your series? Um, probably not. Maybe, maybe Toy Man more than, more than Loomis, but uh, plans right now is to kind of just keep, keep uh, trucking. Keep trucking and bring in bring in new new threats and new heroes as as needed. 
which is probably a good goal seeing as how now he's finally Superman. You can do that. So why not go for it? Right. I mean, you know, we, at some point, um, you know, we'll probably touch base with, uh, any villains from the past who, who I think would have resonance, you know, for both people who, who read comic books and people who watch the show, which aren't necessarily the same people. Um, you know, you've got your toy man who has some crossover. You've got, you know, Zod who has some crossover between those. Audiences. We've kind of put a, we wrapped Zod up in a nice little bow so we wouldn't be going back that way. But, you know, like Metallo is somebody who will yeah. probably show up again at some point, especially because his character's story really isn't finished yet. So there's probably still one story left to tell with him. And it also felt like that upgrade didn't come out just right. Either. It was it was the tough, it was a sticky wicket that one. So it 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 at the end of the day, just given a lot of the hiccups that we had, I think it was it was the best it possibly could be. Yeah. But again, it was one of those where, you know, it, it probably couldn't hurt to to finish John's story at some point. Yeah. Now now I mean I think we talked about this maybe before in our first interview, but is it possible we could see some of those big Superman villains like Zod or Brainiac or even Darkseid come back at some point, maybe during the crisis? Um, because hmm. they are big Superman villains. That's the only reason I ask. Yeah, you're, you're, you're absolutely right on that. Um, I feel like – I feel like – well, it's it's hard because like the same point of like saying that Metallo still has like maybe a chapter to tell in his story just for the character as presented in the series. Like Zod, we kind of thoroughly because he did reunite with you know, his Wraith self in in the Phantom Zone and then you know went spinning away when it collapsed with with essentially Ursa and Non, even though they weren't legally Ursa and Non. He was there with they they female and with a big. Well, maybe that sets more up than leaves more questions. Maybe. I mean, it's certainly I'm not considering going back to the Zodwell. Um, and, you know, it's I think there's room for some more kind of big DC general threat with kind of crisis umbrella than just focusing on, you know, uh, one particular villain and we actually we got a taste of what kind of villain may show up with the crisis um at the end of guardian so we'll get to know a little bit more about that threat as we move forward so there's still definitely a big threat out there it's just we did we did dark side one specific way i don't we're gonna we're gonna touch on you know the fourth world again okay now is this villain going to be a overarching villain kind of like dark side and zod was were I mean yes? <laughs> Sorry, I got excited. I want to know. The, I was just trying to get the answer to the question. Um, it's it's tricky, and more so because of the print schedule and just how long it takes for print issues to come out. Yeah, uh, because if we had, you know, let, let's say we did we did a thing where you know you had um, a crisis villain. Like, just say for example, let's just say Zod. Right. Right. So Zod was the villain for season 11. Then to kind of keep him alive as the villain for however long the season plays out, then there's a point where, let, let's say, it takes three years of print for, for the season to complete. Then for three years, you had 
Zod essentially being Cobra Commander. <laughs> where oh, it's, no. yeah, and my plan was foiled, and I've got a plan, and my plan was foiled. And kind of the more you do that, the less the less effective both your heroes and your villains become. Uh, so, so I think we'll 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 get hints as to what kind of what the crisis might hold. But I think we won't get like our hands, you know, we won't get up to our elbows in crisis dirt, um, just you know, face to face until until kind of that last arc of the season. So yeah, technically, that's just one thing that works on TV, but doesn't try might translate so well into doing the comic books. I think it would just it would just get a little, especially. Well, that's the thing with TV too is that there's only a week between when you're seeing most episodes. Yeah. As for the print issues specifically, there's a month in between. So then, you know, if you've got someone's been kind enough to come back 30 days later to read another issue, and then you're like, oh, still with the Zod? Still Because it's, it's a whole month of their lives has passed. You know, if you're reading trade, it's different. Um, so it's, it's a very tricky line to walk. So, so we definitely will have more than our fair share of past to deal with both related to dependent of the crisis as we as we roll towards the end of the season okay all right so i guess the next question is a little bit about the future and i know michael's big on this one so michael you could chime in if you wanted to add any more detail on this question uh with us kind of getting or oliver getting the revelation now that chloe is pregnant um how has this change going to affect the dynamic for Chloe and Oliver? Um, you know, in a way, and, and I don't want to steal too much from some scenes that are coming up in Haunted where they talk about this, but, um, you know, Oliver, for a fair period of time, grew up without parents. And to an extent, so did Chloe, um, you know, because her mom institutionalized and you know gabe was busy down at the corn factory so <laughs> uh, so she was latchkey i think it's, it's fair to say she was latchkey for a while so right. uh, i think certainly there will be kind of a burden on them to to make sure that that when the baby does come they are there for 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 that child i think i think there um there'll be a sense of responsibility um, they're not, you know, they, they're used to having responsibility kind of for the world and, you know, for kind of a hero's duty and having, you know, putting the city first and putting the needs of others first and then realizing that there's this very personal, important thing um, that's literally growing, um, you know, uh, between them uh, that they have to kind of find a way to embrace a new kind of responsibility. Could, could that... Um end up making them leave the superhero business possibly um, i don't know i mean i think it's it's something we'll have to see we'll have to see how it develops is it something that's going to make oliver nervous um i don't know that i'd say nervous but certainly kind of the situation that that is presented with the pregnancy and that shift of responsibility is something that um neither of them is particularly good at so i think they'll uh, you know not to where you know they're falling off i'll ever used to but it it's 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 definitely 
a shift in mindset for the two of them that they and they have to get used to that shift in mindset and realize that it's a necessary shift in mindset. So um, that's kind of that's kind of what's coming up for them. Okay. Um, now we love how you incorporated Oliver into the detective story arc because honestly we didn't think he really had a place. Um, he was, I mean, he was very jealous of Batman, which was good, and I think that'll obviously continue as you said. And it kind of inspired the Mia reference in the latest uh, chapter, or I guess print issue. Is there any chance that we can see her return in the same suit from Oliver's quote-unquote flashback um, soon, or in the comics eventually? Um, I would love to work her in. Um, I hope to get her in at some point, but it, it with where the stories are kind of laying out, it might not be for a while. Because, I mean, because you, you fit in Barbara really well. We had meant to get back to her um, last year, and it just didn't. In season ten, it just didn't work out. Uh, um, just you know, for one episode, we were going to kind of revisit the Mia thing, and literally just with it was working, it didn't didn't lay out right. So, um, so there'll be hopefully um, a chance to touch on that later in the. Well, season ten need to be about Clark, so that makes what? sense. We got we got into the back half, and there were. These all these other stories we all wanted to tell weren't necessarily Clark focused, um, and then especially once we got into you know not even the last ten but like the last six, um, it was I mean even even the booster episode it was it was a challenge of well we you know Jeff wants to do booster and we you know really think it'd be fun to do booster and Beetle how can we still if we're going to have them how can we make that about Clark and so it went to the dual identity and you know the embracing the hero thing and so we got it on theme at yep. least at that point and we can't say no to jeff johns so <laughs> uh, but it's also it's one of those things where like with mia it's very hard to have mia go through something that's going to relate to clark like it's yeah. just she she's like she's a one too many degrees moved from 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 kind of how clark lives his life so it would have been it would have taken us i think a little too far off point so hopefully we'll get back to her at some point now, also, are you trying to hold off on delving way too much into the Green Arrow world because Arrow is out there now? Um, not. I mean, it's not a conscious effort to do that. It's just more that it's, even though it is, you know, an ensemble book, it's an ensemble book that's Superman at the middle. So it's right. it's just, or it's it's going to naturally be more about Clark-centric stuff. Like, you, okay. you wouldn't have in... Um, I don't want to say never, but I think it's it's less likely that you would have um, like uh, for Oliver like a story like Toxic, like we had um, in season eight, right. uh, or Disciple, you know, which which were heavily clearly episodes about Green Arrow. Right. It's I think those are and 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 they there may be opportunities for them to come up as the season goes, but certainly they would be few and far between. Just because, especially from a Prince, it's a Superman book. So. Right. That makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, back in the 90s, this kind of came from us watching um, World's Finest. Our last episode of DC Nation, we compared World's Finest to what you were doing um, with the Smallville uh, Season 11 book, because we were just curious how that just- all worked. What was that, Brian? Giant wing. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, yes, that is a big difference. But one of the things we did notice is that 90s version, that interpretation of Lois on the animated series, we probably would never see her fight alongside superheroes like Barbara Gordon, like in the arc, or Green Arrow or Superman. Is her evolution, I guess, from being what I guess we called here a damsel in distress to being a fighter in her own right, a sign of the times? Uh, would that she... Okay, would her change from that damsel to who she is now be something that was put into her character by, you know, you and the Smallville writers? Um, I, th- I mean, I, I certainly like to think so. I mean, we certainly had, uh, aside from having our lowest of thousand disguises that that yeah. we had on, we lowest <laughs> <laughs> as a groundskeeper, um, lowest as Wonder Woman, with yeah, we well, as an Amazon, <laughs> different. Uh, <laughs> But uh, with that Lois, like it was Lois who, God, what episode was it in um, season five after Jonathan died with the Fight Club, um, with the with the wrestler, when she was in the red leather suit. Yeah, uh, was that God. the Batista episode? That's combat. That's combat. They get all those wrestlers confused. Uh, but it was, you know, kind of we we certainly had a more a more physical Lois, I think, than than some other versions of Lois. Or not that Lois couldn't ever, you know, hold on, but our Lois was willing to, you know, go out and throw some punches and throw some kicks and and do what she had to do to get her story and to get herself out of trouble. So now certainly, you know, we don't have Lois walking around like Ripley with a machine gun. Right. But <laughs> but it would be awesome. Well and, be awesome. and also Smallville in some episodes kind of darker tone where you almost needed Lois to be that way in order to survive. Absolutely. Absolutely. But, uh, but yeah, so I don't, you know, I, I like to think that's, you know, for, for better or ill, that that's one of the contributions made to, you know, the, the Lois legacy is that, is that we've got kind of, there's a, there's a, there's a bloody knuckle component to, to our, to our Erica against Lois. And it was a lot of fun how you played that up in detective with her to Nightwing duking it out. That was pretty cool stuff. Well, and again, we'll definitely at some point in the season get to see the two of them hang out again. Nice. Oh, cool. That should be fun. A female episode? Uh, maybe before that. Oh. Ooh. And, right. I mean, with the with the age difference, uh, which which is probably about about six years between and Lois, is that in a weird way. There's a little sister component in Barbara that isn't there with Lucy. Ah. So, so there's there's something there that, that I think she yeah you know, she can find with with that relationship with Barbara that's kind of been lacking in her interactions with her actual blood relative sister. That's really cool. I mean, I'm a huge Barbara Gordon fan, and I would never think to her because it's just they've never done it. I would never think of her interacting. With Lois Lane. Because now that you mentioned that, it, it really does work. It's kind of a cool place to explore. Well, and our, our Barbara, too, is a little more, um, I want to say she's a little closer in tone to, um, to the Barbara on uh, the, the Batman cartoon. Yes. Um, which, which a lot of people rejected, I think, because, because so many of us were so close to the Tim stuff. Um, but it's, it's not that bad. 
I grew up on the Batman along with the Bruce Tim stuff. So, you know, I, I, I loved how you did Barbara because it totally reminded me of that the entire time. That's why I've kept saying for weeks. I do like that you made her a little bit older than the one we saw in the Batman show, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, she's we nineteen, I think, is what we shot her yeah. with. So, so she's definitely um, get into at some point in the in the to the workings of she and and Bruce's relationship and world. So, oh no, please don't tell me it's that creepy. No, no, it's not that. It's not that uh, uh, mystery of the Batwoman. Um, Batman Beyond thing. thing. Yeah. Uh, well, not even the Beyond part, because that whatever. But the um, there was that movie, the cartoon movie, where um, yes, where Bruce um, avoided all from Barbara, and Barbara was in France or something, and she was calling because they were dating or something, and then he like made Alfred he went home and kind of create while at the same time he was dating three bad women. That's the movie we're reviewing next on DC Nation. Yeah, that's our next know? episode. Um, it's it's a little. There's some uncomfortable spots. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Definitely change tone. That one. It's it's uh, it's peculiar. Next week's DC Nation, everyone. There's your preview. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um. So I mean now now I mean we're kind of done with little discussion on detective and we want to. If you can answer some of the questions on Haunted, I mean, obviously you'd be the judge of what you can and can't say, but... Um, Just give us some clues. Yeah. Or vague uh, descriptions, yeah. Are, are we going to see a darker version of Bart Allen in this next arc? Or is he, and is he going to be his full-fledged uh, Flash identity? Uh, he's still Impulse. Okay. We will see kind of upgrade to uh, to the Impulse look. So, um, he's, it's, and I, uh, Jorge, uh, Jimenez is doing the arc, the arc. Um, we, uh, I worked with him, um, on the design and, um, it's, it's sharp. It's really sharp. I like it. I'm happy with it. So, so this uh, is a, it's a new costume. I take it. And it definitely, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's built to run way more than a hoodie is. <laughs> right. So, um, uh, so yeah, so it's um, the definitely impulse, and he, you know, as as always, like uh, he doesn't necessarily come to town just for social visits. So uh, so it's ev- everyone in in the arc is dealing with being haunted by by something in their lives, and so definitely he's he's got some fresh baggage that he's bringing to town. So I guess it's not a who that's being haunted; it's everyone that's being haunted. Yes, in the just next arc. Just, okay. Being haunted by by an element of of their lives or their past. Okay. And and going off that Bart stuff, I mean, this is a debate that's gone on between many Smallville and DC Comics fans who both watch the show and now are reading the comic on whether Bart Allen on Smallville is really Smallville's version of Barry Allen, or if he's just an allegation of both Bart and Barry. I mean, what what are your thoughts? How are you going into it? Um, I would say. Your uh, the debate will be settled during the correspondent. Ooh, interesting. Oh, okay. I I could be dead wrong now. Great. This is like hex for Flash now. <laughs> oh my goodness. No, because so, I mean, yeah. I, I mean, and the thing is, he is the current. I guess he's still impulse, but he's the quote unquote 
current Flash at this point. So that I guess that's why most people think he's Barry, because he's the one that just started around the time as Clark and Oliver and all those characters as well. Well, I mean, it's it's one of those things where not everything is going to especially with various reboots and crises and whatever, not, not everything's going to line up timeline-wise. Like, you know, for instance, we had... Oliver showing up and becoming a part of Clark's life, Batman, and, and you know things like that. Um, yeah, you know, Zatanna showing up before she could do full-on magic, um, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, it's it's playing into that, but also um, there's there's an element of of if not totally lining up, at least addressing some of the concerns. Okay. Okay. So Dan, uh, are you? Well, I, I wanted to ask, you know, are we going to see any of Flash's rogues gallery possibly in the next arc? Um, let me go through the arc in my head right now. Um, yeah, I, I, to, to, in a way, in a way. Okay. Uh, if, yeah, it's it's one of those things where I'd say I'd say read, read and see. Will we see Captain Cold? No, I will say we will not see Captain Cold. But Dang it, that would be awesome. No continuation to a prophecy. Um, uh, not so much. No. Some oh, of prophecy will stay where exactly where where it was. <laughs> I think I think revisiting Toy Man in Strikers and that conversation with Lois was. Um, no, actually, no, I'm lying. There's an upcoming story beyond Haunted. We'll touch on something else from Prophecy, but, uh, but I don't think we'll be, we'll be seeing Captain Cold anytime soon. But maybe Black Mana? No. <laughs> <laughs> Michael has a fear of Black Mana. Yeah. So it's a dangerous with a submarine. Why yeah. shouldn't it be? <laughs> Well, it, now he's not going to sleep tonight. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So, I mean, Dan, now, now is the last question. Can I ask him one real quick question just for fun? Oh, yeah. Go Do you have me. a favorite Flash Rogue? Uh, favorite Flash Rogue? Um, hmm. I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think. Um, Trying to think of versions of Flash Rogues because they do they do change when their iterations come and go. Um, I mean, I've always liked Grodd. There was a Grodd reference from Hex that was cut because um, um, it was when when Clark was helping Bart with something in Keystone. Uh, there was a line made of uh, mentioned of about something with a giant ape. Um, uh, and that that would be got, awesome. Yeah, I, so that's why I put it in there. But if you're <laughs> talking about, we're like, fine, we'll just cut the line. Nobody understands. Um, maybe um, I feel like kind of up until like pre countdown, um, Pied Piper had a really good arc as a character. Um, I agree with that. So, so I'd say maybe I'd say maybe Pied Piper because he at least for a while had. Kind of the most, the most depth, I think. Yeah, especially when he kind of went through that redemption thing and all that stuff. Yeah, that's a, that was a good arc. I think so. I think so. Was he one of the? Did he abstain from the, uh, the curb stomping of Bart when um when the rogues killed Bart or? 
Because I know the rogues all. Because I'm trying to remember so long ago that I read it when the rogues killed Bart. They ended up involved in it. And then they went on the run. Yeah. After that. But I think. Weren't they running because they weren't guilty and no one would believe them? I know. I think. They were working with the rogues and then they backed down off of killing when they realized that he was going to get killed. The league was coming after all the rogues. Right. So that's why they went on the run. Because what's his face from, um, oh God, what's his name? Not Impulse, Inertia. Yep. Yes. Was, um, was the one who was trying to build the machine to, and he stole Bart's speed force at the Getty. Or it's, yeah. I remember it in bits and pieces from that arc. Because I think that's when he, he moved to L.A. and it was Bilson and DiMatteo. Wrote it for for a year. Yeah, the guys who did. I think Mark Guggenheim did the finale issues, though. Oh, did he? It's it's been. I don't remember. I believe so. I don't know. I could be completely wrong, but I thought that's maybe what I remember reading. I don't know. Yes. I don't know. But um, I mean, now now is our final question for you, Brian, and it kind of goes like this. I mean, not much has happened in regards to the overarching plot of season eleven, being as a uh, the crisis story. Since the premiere of Guardian, do you plan on expanding the story more with Haunted or Episode 4 Effigy? Or can you not answer that question? No, it'll be things that, that we touch on. I think, like, structurally, probably the, um, the, the Black Ship and Brainiac from Season 5, kind of how that was dealt with. Where, right. you know... Episodes kind of were about it, and some episodes it happened in the background, and some episodes it wasn't talked about at all. Um, I think it's a similar approach for for this one. Um, okay. in the Batman story, there just wasn't room for that because mm-hmm. then it's bringing in the Batman element and all of the Earth Two stuff. It's just too much. Um, so um, haunted, we get to some of the ramifications of uh, of Chloe's demise. So, so we definitely touch back on it in a in a much larger way in Haunted. And this, so, is that like characters looking at a road that's not traveled kind of thing? I, I not necessarily. Okay. <laughs> is now is this arc? Do you plan to go how how long with this arc? A year, two years? I mean, what's your overall plan? Do you think for for the season? For at least the crisis arc, the crisis is the arc for the season. Um, but it's it's one of those where we can only plan because you know when things when things get get canceled or not. So yeah. just pragmatically, realistically, it's I I know how it ends, and I know the stories that lead up to that end, and I know what I'm doing right now. And the the middle is kind of that um, that uh, slinky spring. Where if we have to compress a lot to get to the end, we can. Or if we if we have some room to breathe, we can stretch it back out some. Uh, but we'll we'll get there at some point. But definitely, however long the season, uh, we're fortunate to have the season be. Um, it's the the crisis is kind of the overarching um, threat for the year. Okay. And uh, just real quick, I, a couple of our listeners that our friend Andy involved with the podcast wanted to know if you could at least tease something. Regarding effigy, if you can't, you can't. That's fine. Um, I should. Okay. 
if for no other reason than that we're we're so far ahead of of effigy that um I'd rather us live in the world of of haunted but in speculation before we get into the next story. Is, is haunted four print issues again? It it was originally going to be three. It's going to be a ninety pager. As I was writing, I did, I needed the other thirty pages. So um, so it's 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 a one twenty. After that, um, we're gonna we're gonna go um, shorter on stories. After that, it was just it was one of those things where I had to tie some stuff off um, because it was the reality of. Uh, the end of Haunted will be print issue 12, which means it will have been a year of, of stories of people waiting, you know, 30 days in between each story. Yeah. You know, there were certain things that, that had to get certain questions had to get answered, certain, certain things needed to be addressed and kind of out of play so that we had some more room to introduce new questions and, and go in some different directions um, in the next chunk. So it's, it's very much, um, I want to say like a um, like Pandora or uh, Solitude or uh, Icarus, where it even though it's not literally the middle point of the season, but it's got it's got kind of that Christmas break feel to it of like okay, one one major section of the season is done, moving into a new section of the season when we come back. So it's like a, a mid-season finale kind of thing. Even though it's not technically what would be the middle yeah. of but it's it it has the same function as as that kind of episode. Okay. Because that makes total sense. Cannot wait. Next week, right? Uh, yeah, next Friday, fourteenth. Very cool. Oh, sounds good. And right, and we I, are thoroughly enjoying the comics. We definitely right? are. And I think that we have. Looking at my calendar now, we come back on the fourteenth. Then we're on for three, and then um. Then we've got our week, and then and then we're back. So it's it's uh it's a it's a five week month, but it it worked out. Um, it worked cool. out calendar. So because the months we have that two week break because of the print schedule, and then having to have the three in a row. So uh, between between haunted issues. Good. We didn't want to wait very long. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't. It looks fantastic, so it's um, it's it's coming in great. So, oh, we're anxious. We look forward to it every week. Thanks. Yeah. Well, Brian, you know we'd love to talk more. We always enjoy having you on our show, but uh, we're going to let you get on to the rest of your day. It's evening here where we're recording, but we'll let you get on to the rest of your day. And uh, thanks for giving us some um, time once again. And um, hopefully, we'll get to hear from you again following haunted our listeners love hearing from you so we hope we could keep up the relationship with you and keep doing this absolutely let's let's uh, let's touch base then all right sounds great all right well michael now that brian has gone off into the sunset for this third installment of him doing interviews with us brian q miller forever yes entitled brian q miller forever do you want to move on to the closing can tell everyone what we're doing next week, which was what we were supposed to be doing this week. <laughs> On next week's episode of the DC Nation podcast, we will be covering the next chapter of Smallville Season 11, which is Haunted, Chapter 1, which will go right off of our Brian Q. Miller interview, which is perfect. After yes. that, the main event, we will be covering or doing a commentary on 
the next DC Universe animated movie, Batman, Mask of the Fan... No, <laughs> just kidding. Batman, Mystery of the Batwoman. Where, according to Brian, relationships with Batman gets kind of weird. Yeah. yeah. Relationships with Batman and Barbara have been highly exaggerated. Or not. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's an interesting movie. Not necessarily sure how it fits into the timeline. We'll talk about that next week. Yeah, but it, it'll be fun. But for now, while you're waiting for that next episode, and um, sad that the Brian Kimmler interview is over, you can check out our spinoff podcasts. And that includes ATA Retro Reviews, which covers past television shows that were canceled or went out on their own terms. We've also got, of course, the original ATA podcast, which covers live-action drama shows, including Castle, Supernatural, Fringe. Fringe, Bones, pretty much everything that's out there now because we have our rundown section, which covers pretty much everything that's on during the week. So if you want to hear about live-action network or cable shows, check out the original ATA. How do and you and Nico have time to watch all those shows? I do not watch them all. So Mike, uh, Nico watches... Um, a lot of the rundown section shows. What does he do during the week? I have no clue. <laughs> I, I need th- to figure this out. I think he's a robot, but that's just me. Oh, no. Anyhow. Not another one. Oh, no. Now Michael's scared again. He's stuck me sleep again. But also, we have one other show, Michael. Yes, we do. And that final show is one we kind of mentioned already during the interview, but that is um, Longbow Hunters, the Arrow podcast, brought to you by Across Series, obviously, where I am the host of that show, and we also have my co-host Wu on, and we discuss each new episode of the hit TV series Arrow, that kind of took Smallville's place on the CW next to Supernatural, and along with that, we not only cover each new episode of the show every week, but we also cover each new digital comic book chapter, or I guess for some of you, each print comic book issue throughout the span of um, the episodes. So definitely check that out. Dan, Nico, and our other co-host, Andy Babacht, also send in their thoughts every week. So that is very cool. And sometimes they're even on the show to join with us. Our most recent episode is the one on the episode Muse of Fire, which is a Jeff Johns written episode of Arrow. Which which is unbelievable. Which was unbelievable. And it was very fun to discuss, especially with our special guest, Elisa Lee, who has been on our show before and was happy enough to join us again. So that was fun. Uh, Dan, to you. Back so to you. if you guys enjoy listening to this podcast, get all the fun we have talking about DC superheroes here, definitely check out Longwall Hunters for more superhero discussion fun. Also, if you'd like, you can contact us by visiting our website at www.acrosstheairwaves.com. There you can email us at acrosstheairwaves.gmail.com. Again, that's acrosstheairwaves at gmail.com. Also, you can uh, click our like button on our website to access our Facebook page. There you can stay updated on our podcast episode releases, as well as the movie and TV news that Nico finds for us every week. And you can find out the same information by uh, following us on Twitter. Because our Twitter is Across Airwaves. There's no the in there. It's just Across Airwaves. And also, you can follow our circle on Google+. And through Twitter, at Google+, you can find uh, the same information you can find on the Facebook page 
which is movie and TV news from Nico, as well as updates on our podcast episodes. Also, if you have any crackpot theories regarding Smallville Season 11 or upcoming episodes of Green Lantern, the animated series, and Young Justice, you can leave us a voicemail. What number can you call to do that, Michael? 1773-809-3363. That is 1773-809-3363. Also, along with that, guys, if you want to go to our website, you can visit our new forums that have just been released thanks to Dan. Yes. And you can discuss any chapter of Smallville Season 11, any episodes of Green Lantern and Young Justice, or any other shows or movies that we cover or have listed under the forms. And you can also even discuss the Brian Q. Miller interview, which um, will be under the DC Nation podcast section under our uh, forum page. And you can also discuss this podcast as well in a section of the forum. Can give us suggestions on what we could do to improve the show. Yes. And also, you could also tell us about things that you like about the show or enjoy as well. Or give us suggestions on things you would like us to cover. Absolutely. Also, um, if you are missing DC Nation, you could check out our YouTube channel for a bunch of DC Nation shorts that aired during Cartoon Network's popular programming block. So definitely check out that at our YouTube channel. It also has previews and promos for upcoming movies, including Superman, Man of Steel, and Iron Man 3. Also, you can download our Podcast Box app, which will let you download podcast episodes as well as um, allowing you to stay in touch with our podcast. And you can do the same thing if you're on an Android phone with our Android app, which is also available by clicking the link on the right-hand side of our webpage. So once again, for Boo Kim, Andy Babacht, and Nico Reifstech, I'm Dan Schmidt. And I'm Michael J. Petty. And until our next exciting episode, we will catch you on the airwaves. See you guys, and thanks, Brian, for giving us an interview. It was really great stuff that we can't wait to see what you have ahead of us for the rest of Small Bells Season 11. See you guys. We now return to our regularly scheduled program.